1: saints
2: you're not going to believe this
1: we're really sorry about your family what do you think he does maybe he's an artist
2: get everyone in we're going hunting it's not vengeance. No, it's not vengeance. It's punishment. Call the Russian. Uh, Howard's safe! Took everything from me. Bay Castle dead! Those who do evil to others will come to know me well. no one's ever stood up for me before, call me the Punisher. Shouldn't play with knives.
0: Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover The Punisher from 2004. The studio was Lionsgate Films. The release date was April 16, 2004. The running time, 123 minutes with the rating of R. The budget was 33 million and the box office took in 33 million, <laughs> making it the 83rd ranked movie of 2004 and that was domestic gross. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 29% rotten from 169 reviews. The critics' consensus was, a good cast fails to elevate this overly violent and by the numbers revenge flick. Roger Ebert at the time gave it two out of four stars and here's his review. The Punisher is a long, dark slog through grim revenge. Unlike most movies based on comic book heroes, it doesn't contain the glimmer of a smile and its hero is a depressed alcoholic Well, he might be, since his entire family, including his wife, child, father, and even distant cousins, have been massacred before his eyes. As he seeks vengeance, he makes the Charles Bronson character in the movie Death Wish look relatively cheerful and well-adjusted. I wonder if the filmmakers understand quite how downbeat and dark their movie is. It opens with an FBI sting that leads to the death of a mobster's son, The operation, we learn, was the last assignment before retirement for agent Frank Castle, played by Thomas Jane. The criminal, a wealthy, high-profile money launderer named Mr. Saint, played by John Travolta, orders Castle's death, and then his wife, Laura Herring, adds his family, his whole family. This sets up a sequence from which the movie hardly recovers. Castle has a romantic walk on the beach with his wife, Maria, Samantha Mathis, a hug with his child, and sentimental moments as his father, Roy Scheider, speaks at a family reunion. Then Castle's gunmen mow down the entire family in a series of gruesome vignettes, not neglecting to linger on the death of the wife and child after their pitiful attempt to flee. Castle kills a few of the attackers, but is cornered on a pier, shot repeatedly, doused with gasoline, blown up, and lands in the water. This establishes a pattern for the movie. No one is killed only once. Later in the film, a target is shot, chained to the back of a car, and dragged into a car lot where all of the cars explode. Miraculously, Castle survives and is nursed back to health by one of those useful cliches, the dark loner who lives by himself on an island and possesses the wisdom of the ages. The rest of the movie involves his recovery, his preparations, and his methodical revenge against Mr. Saint and all of his people. Several colorful supporting characters are introduced, especially the three oddballs who live in the shabby rooming house Castle occupies. They are Joan, Rebecca Romijn Stamos, a sexy but frightened woman with an abusive boyfriend, Mr. Bumpo, John Panette, a tubby sissy, and Spackard Dave, Ben Foster, who is pierced in ways you don't even want to think about. We have all been indoctrinated in the notion that we are family, and these three attempt to include Castle in their circle, despite his need to isolate, drink, kill, and brood. There is something a little odd when he's invited over for ice cream and cake. The movie is relentless in its violence. There is a scene where Spacker Dave is tortured by having his piercings removed with pliers. The scene breaks the fabric of the film and moves into a different and macabre arena. The Punisher opens on the same weekend as another movie about a gruesome massacre and an elaborate revenge, Kill Bill Volume 2, but they are as different as night and day. Kill Bill Volume 1 vibrates with humor, irony, over-the-top exaggeration, and the joy of filmmaking. The Punisher is so grim and cheerless you wonder if even its hero gets any satisfaction from his accomplishments. That said, I have to note that the film, directed by Jonathan Hensley, is consistently well-acted and has some scenes of real power. That the Punisher is a dreary and charmless character does not mean that Thomas Jane doesn't play him well. He goes all the way with the film's dark vision and is effective in the action scenes. Travolta, as Mr. Saint, finds a truth you would not think was available in a melodrama of this sort. His grief over his son and possessive jealousy over his wife are compelling. The film doesn't simply set up Saint as the bad guy and a target, but devotes attention to the character and develops an intriguing relationship between Saint and his right-hand man Quentin Glass, the always effective Will Patton. The Punisher is able to use Saint's jealousy to drive a wedge between the two men, but here's the strange thing. What happens between Saint and Glass is convincing, but what the Punisher does to sabotage their relationship is baffling and ludicrous, involving false fire hydrants and the improbable detail that Saint would allow his wife to go to the movies alone after he knows the Punisher is alive and at war. Right down the line, the performances are strong. Even the three misfits in the rundown rooming house are given the dimension and screen time to become interesting. The screenplay by Michael France and Jonathan Hensley, based on the Marvel comics, doesn't simply foreground the Punisher and make everyone else into one-dimensional cartoons. There's so much that's well done here that you get a sense a good movie slipping away. The movie would either be lighter than this one or commit to its seriousness like Scarface. This one loses control of its mood and doesn't know what level of credibility it exists on. And at the end, we feel battered down and depressed, emotions we probably don't seek from comic book heroes. And that's the end of his review. So I definitely agree with the assessment of the film, but it's also why I enjoyed the movie when I first saw it back in theaters in 2004. The fact that a superhero movie for once was this dark and similar to a Death Wish type of you know vigilante film was sort of refreshing. Too often, comic book characters are just watered down, which makes sense because they're normally developed for younger audiences. And usually, villains are killed by their own volition, meaning they fall off a ledge or whatnot. It's never the hero doing the killing outright. The Punisher is not that type of hero, and I think this darkness is portrayed well in this film. Alright, let's get into the main cast. You get Thomas Jane, who plays Frank Castle in The Punisher. Uh, Jane had been acting in films since the early 1990s, mostly in small roles, but his big break and the first time that I saw him was in Billy Crystal's excellent HBO film 61 about Roger Maris' chase of Babe Ruth's single season home run record. Jane played Mickey Mantle, who people forget was also chasing the Babe and ended up with 54 home runs that same season. Thomas Jane's next starring role was in The Sweetest Thing with Cameron Diaz in 2002, and then Dreamcatcher, which was written by Stephen King in 2003. John Travolta plays Howard Saint, and Travolta was definitely the biggest name star-wise in this film, which may have helped or hindered the film. I'll get more into his performance a bit later. I won't get into Travolta's entire career, since he'd been acting since the 1970s, but at this point, some of his more recent film credits at the time included Domestic Disturbance, Swordfish, Battlefield Earth, The General's Daughter, The Thin Red Line, and Primary Colors. Will Patton plays Quentin Glass, and to me, the star of this film is Patton. He is just awesome in this role. He started his career in the 1980s mostly as a character actor. His first big role was in the 1987 film No Way Out with Kevin Costner and Gene Hackman, where he played Hackman's assistant. Terrific movie. He continued to work steadily up until present day, and I guarantee you, you've seen him in numerous times on film and television. Rebecca Romaine, later Stamos, Uh, plays Joan. Romaine started her career as a very successful model, appearing in many ads in the 1990s. She eventually took on like host jobs on MTV and then transitioned into film acting in the 2000s with X-Men and the character Mystique. She eventually divorced John Stamos and the later married actor Jerry O'Connell, and they're still currently together. Ben Foster plays Spacker Dave, and today Foster is really doing well with his career appearing in terrific films like Hell or High Water and the remake of 310 to Yuma. But back in 2004, he was still pretty young in his career. His first major role was in the HBO series Six Feet Under, and The Punisher was his big film break. John Panette plays Bumpo, and Panette started as a stand-up comedian before getting into films, and his shtick when he was doing stand-up was all about food due to his weight issues. I always enjoyed his stand-up and actually saw him live in San Jose before this film came out. He had appeared on TV shows and movies in the 1990s, but The Punisher would be his biggest role, and sadly, Panette died in 2014 due to liver and heart disease. The director and screenwriter is Jonathan Hensley. Hensley started as a writer uh, writing episodes for the short-lived series The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Film-wise, he wrote the screenplays for Die Hard with a Vengeance, the original Jumanji, The Saint, and Armageddon. The Punisher was his directorial debut, and after this, he only directed one more film, 2011's Kill the Irishman. Alright, so for some people who don't know the Punisher, uh, I'll give you some quick origins of the characters. So he started as a side villain for the Jackal, which was part of the Spider-Man cast of characters. However, the Punisher storyline evolved and he really wasn't a villain and he kind of turned into a deeper character. So early on, the working character name was the Grim Reaper or the Executioner. The Punisher was always outside of the law. He was a vigilante, which was far different than a regular superhero. And as I stated earlier, heroes couldn't kill people, which always kind of put a routine in every superhero and frankly made comics somewhat predictable and boring. However, this was to avoid the censorship from the powers of B. Smartly, Marvel created a subcategory of comics in the 1970s and took the Punisher out of the superhero world, which allowed for a darker hero to not follow the common storylines and tropes. This gave the Punisher a true backstory and explanation to his behavior. So he was a Vietnam vet whose family was killed by the mob after being in the wrong place at the wrong time. The justice system didn't do anything about the slaughter of his family, so he decided to seek vengeance on the people who killed his family, and this led to him avenging for people who had the same tragedy as him. He was a true vigilante. The interesting part about the character is that he's completely human. He's not superhuman, but he has the motivation and the drive that allows him to complete his missions and overpower his foes. It's sort of like in sports. Sometimes it's the hardest workers that win, not the ones with the most natural ability. An original comic miniseries came out in 1986 and was extremely popular, which led to a regular monthly issue. The violent and different type of hero was refreshing compared to the you know, tried-and-true stories that had been appearing for decades in comics. Sometimes you just want to see someone kick ass, and that's exactly what The Punisher did. All right, the making of the film. So one really cool thing about this movie is the use of really old-school stunt coordination. The director said no CGI, everything had to be stunts and real explosions. And I think that really enhances the film. The problem with today's special effects, and I say it over and over again, is that they all look the same, and they're sterile, and it's lazy. So regardless of what you think about this particular film, I admire the effort they put into it, stunt-wise and acting-wise. And even Ebert mentioned this. So when you see this movie and you see guys on fire, it's real stuntmen. Discovering this made me appreciate the film even more. Also, Thomas Jane did a great deal of stunts on his own, which of course lends to the authenticity of the film. He also did a great deal of weaponry training, which translates to the film. For an action film, the budget was not very large. Most superhero movies are made for well over $100 million. The Punisher is a third of that budget. And also, they only had 50 days to shoot, which normally superhero movies are 150 days. So because of this, Jonathan Hensley made sure that the storyboards were super tight and they were ready to shoot. Also, they were shooting in Tampa, Florida. And this also helped greatly with the shooting costs and they had tons of open space. However, the lightning and rainstorms added challenges to the shooting because they could happen randomly. Director Jonathan Hensley was also very influenced by Sergio Leone, Don Siegel, and Quinn Eastwood with regards to filmmaking. And another thing that Hensley was smart about that today's filmmakers could take away was that he didn't want to film longer than two hours. He did have a first cut that was two hours and forty minutes, involving a subplot about a rogue FBI agent named Jimmy Weeks who gave up Frank Castle to Howard Saint. However, as interesting as that subplot may have been, no superhero me- needs to be longer than two hours. The fucking Endgame was like three hours, ridiculous. So Thomas Jane has very masculine and rugged features, kind of like an old school action hero, like you know, like Bronson and McQueen and Eastwood. This isn't today's airbrushed superhero, and that's another thing The Punisher has going for it in my eyes. Alright, let's get into the film. So in 2004, we're at the point in history where Marvel comic book movies hadn't really hit their creative peak yet with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel movies finally made their mark starting with Spider-Man in 2002, but they weren't all hits until Iron Man in 2008. And there were movies like Daredevil and The Fantastic Four, and even the original Punisher from 1989 with Dolph Lundgren. Oof. So the movie starts with an undercover FBI bust involving illegal gun runners. Frank Castle, who is Thomas Jane, plays an undercover agent leading the bust, and his code name or his undercover name is Otto Krieg. In order to keep his cover, the character of Krieg is mock killed by the FBI. However, one of the buyers is killed. And he is the son of the infamous Howard Saint, John Travolta, who is the main leader of the mob. Of course, Saint doesn't take this news very well and vows to avenge his son's death. Saint's main enforcer is Quentin Glass, that is Will Patton. Again, Patton is just great in this movie. Actually, much better than Travolta. And I think the problem with Travolta playing the main villain is that he's almost too well-known. Plus, you feel like he's almost overacting. I think the main knocks about this film mostly stem from Travolta, and it's a valid criticism. In the meantime, Castle is retiring from the FBI to spend more time with his wife and son, and he heads on vacation to Puerto Rico. If you've seen enough of these types of movies, you sort of know what's going to happen. So there's a leak in the FBI, and Saint finds out who Otto Krieg really is. But in a different type of twist... Saint's wife, Livia, and that's Laura Herring, is the one that wants Castle's family wiped out, not just Castle. And this is where the Punisher is much different than most Marvel movies. Yes, people are killed in comic book movies all the time, but usually it's not a massacre like in this scene. This is a straight up mafia hit and it's as violent as any Scorsese movie. How's that for irony considering Scorsese's comments about superhero movies? So it's not like I'm looking for violence in my movies, But the more mature nature of this movie lends itself to staying true to the source material. And the Punisher is way darker and more violent than most Marvel characters. And to this point, Castle's wife and son are hunted down and killed in brutal fashion. Castle is shot many times. He's left for dead. Of course, he doesn't die because this would be a 30-minute short film if he didn't survive. Castle washes ashore, and he's found by a local fisherman who nurses him back to health. As expected, Castle is distraught about the loss of not only his wife and son, but his entire family, including his mother and father. Of course, there's a little movie magic at where, after he his recovery, he decides to leave the island. He finds a shirt that is washed ashore, and it has a skull on it, which is, of course, the infamous Punisher skull logo that the character is best known for. So he heads back to the United States. He stockpiles an arsenal of weapons. He now is living in a rundown apartment building. He also builds a muscle car from scratch. The amusing part of this film, if you can call any of the Punisher amusing, is Castle's Neighbors. You have a waitress named Joan, that's Rebecca Romaine, an outcast video game nerd named Spacker Dave with enough facial jewelry to cause a metal detector to break, that's Ben Foster, and an overweight guy whose life revolves around food named Bumpo, and that's John Panette. Of course, the Bumpo character is exactly the shtick that Panette used during his stand-up routine for years, until his death in 2014. So Castle finds one of Saint's cowardly crew, Mickey, played by Eddie Jameson, and kidnaps and mock-tortures him to get information about Saint's operation. Again, this is where the Punisher is different than most comic book characters. It's also the reason the movie was sort of refreshing at the time when I first saw it. So it's part of the superhero trope to be the bigger person and not stoop to the level of the villain. Well, that's well and good, and I get the sentiment if it's a kid's movie, but after years of this, it gets really stale. So to have a quote-unquote hero act like Dirty Harry, for me, it's refreshing. The so-called torture scene is actually pretty funny. So Castle blindfolds Mickey and acts like he's burning him with a blowtorch. But what he's actually doing is blowtorching a stake, but it's the power of the mind because Mickey thinks it's him who's being burned. And then Castle uses an ice cold popsicle on Mickey's skin which leads to the other part of the illusion. All the while, Castle's neighbors think that Hannibal Lecter lives in their apartment building.
1: This is undignified. You're supposed to be dead. Let's talk stay away from your castle i have friends you know
2: let's talk about your friends
1: make your own friends buddy i'm not saying nothing i talk to you they'll kill me you don't help me i'll
2: kill you now mick
1: the saints tell me nothing
2: Pay your rent. Your legal bills. You should know something. What's the torch for? Two thousand degrees make enough to turn steel into butter. <sighs> it won't hurt at first. It's uh too hot, you see. The flame sears the nerve in it shut, killing them. You go into shock and all you feel is cold. Isn't science fun, Mickey?
1: Ah! Oh. I don't know shit.
2: You'll smell burning meat and then. Then
1: it'll hurt. I swear I'm telling the truth! Should we call the police? Let's stay out of it. He's a very scary man. He's killing someone, and where next? Exactly.
2: Wait. Wait. Smell <laughs> so that, Mick. I'm burning off some of your fat.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you anything, 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 anything you want to know. That's a good boy. Okay, okay. Any discussion of how it Saints business involves two Cubans the Toro brothers. They control all the prostitution and gambling up and down the Gulf Coast, tons of cash. They give their dirty money to Howard Saint, who transports it in cigarette boats to his banks in Grand Cayman, washes it, and wires it back clean as a whistle. Fuck! For the love of God! a oh, nice person so what's up you're going to string up howard saint and blow torch him
2: i like that idea but i have something better
1: and guess what you're gonna help me unless you want to stay howard saint's lackey for the rest of your life i hate the saints all of them tell me about them what they do where when Howard seems man strict habits. He has first tea time five days a week at Tampa Springs. Never fails. He likes money, he likes power, but the thing this guy covets most, the wife, Libya. What happened to your family? Howard did that for her. She's just like him and she's just as predictable. Every Thursday she works out, gets her nails done and goes to the movies. Howard knows every move this broad makes. Any man who looks at her wrong, he ends up in Tampa Bay. Let's not forget Johnny Boy, the son you didn't kill. What a putz. Last but not least, Quentin Glass. Been with Howard 20 years, the family conciliary, lawyer, CPA, and a sadist. Who knows what's going on with this guy?
0: So, for whatever reason, Castle decides to come out alive to the public instead of hiding out in the open. And he's basically telling Saint he's going to take him out and his crew out. And this is always the most entertaining part of these types of movies. You get the predictable backstory out of the way, and then you get down to business. The back and forth between the hero and the villain. Castle's first move is to take tons of Saint's cash that is laundered at his high-rise building and then dump it into the streets for the public to grab. Again, there's a lot of dirty Harry in the Punisher character. However, even though his goal is to wipe out Saint's entire empire, it won't bring back his family and he continues to drink himself to excess every night. However, whether he realizes it or not, he has empathy for his neighbors, as shown by him standing up for Joan against her abusive ex-boyfriend. Come on, Joni.
2: Open up the and I can't. I'm to talk to you now,
1: how you hurt my feelings. Mm.
2: Johnny, over the gun!
1: Johnny, ah, put it my finger bitch! Um, dude? It's kinda late. Yeah. What time is it in Hawaii? You should leave right now! Shut your face, you lard ass! Johnny, come on, let me I'm gonna call the cops. Oh, come, on, come, on. come,
2: on. come, on. come, on. come, on. come, Hey, okay. get out. <sighs> what? 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 what, what? Mike, you don't have this tricks anymore. At the speed. What? shouldn't play with knives.
1: No one's ever stood up for me before. Come on, champ. Let's get some ice on that ass, huh? He's fine. He's all right. I, uh, I've lived in seven cities in seven years, and in each one, I've managed to find the one guy who will treat me the worst. But I'm trying to fix that. Your castle. Used to be we saw you on TV
2: <clears throat> I don't have one
1: I'm Joan Dave's the one with all the um the metal and, and Bumbo's the well you can probably figure out which one Bumbo is we're really sorry about what about your family Did you know? No. I'm over it. Don't let your memories kill you.
0: Not all of Castle's plan to take out Saint is all brute force. He actually uses his secret agent skills for more subtle subterfuge. This plan is expertly used to take out Quentin Glass. However, I won't get into these details, but for me, it was the most intriguing part about the film. So I'll leave some details open for those who actually want to see this film. However, there's plenty of shoot-em-up action like Castle's standoff with the hitman Harry Heck, who is this singing assassin, and a dead ringer, no pun intended, for Johnny Cash.
2: Morning, sir. Sit down where you like. I can hear what you're thinking, all your doubts and fears. And if you look in my eye in time, you'll find the reason I'm here. And in time, all things shall pass away. In time, you may come back someday. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't catch your name. You like that song? I wrote that for you. I'm going to sing it at your funeral.
0: In between the action and violence, the neighbors start to give Castle a purpose for his life, whether he appreciates it or not.
1: I know it's not Thanksgiving, but um, I'd like us to all say what we're thankful for. I'll start. Um, I'm thankful to be alive this year. And to have a job and to be sober. Yeah, I'm thankful for uh, my mom getting out of jail, you know, which is cool. And uh, this girl gave me a number, um, which is also cool. (laughs) Thanks for leftovers. Full. Uh, Thanks for Diet Pepsi, and thanks for Good Neighbors. Thanks for dinner. There's dessert. Ice Florentine. You have to try my Ice Florentine. Come on, Dave. Come on, I need your help. I know what it's like to try and make your memories go away. You can make new memories, good ones. Good memories can save your life.
0: So we go back to the action. There's a great fight scene between Castle and the Russian, who definitely looks like a comic book villain. All the while, Castle's neighbors are blissfully unaware about the massacre going on in Castle's apartment. Until, that is, the giant Russian throws him through their door. It's an awesome scene, though. Mr.
1: Castle? Frank? I'm fine.
0: He's not. The Russian was played by Kevin Nash, best known for his wrestling work in the WWE. Nash really is a giant. He's almost seven feet tall. Nash commended Thomas Jane for really doing well in the stunt work, which made the fight scene look really great. However, Jane accidentally stabbed Nash during the scene. Nash also played college basketball at Tennessee and later pro ball in Europe before getting into wrestling. So while Castle recovers from his battle with the Russian, Quentin Glass and his goons show up in, to wipe out Castle. So while hiding with Joan underground, Glass decides to torture Spacker Dave by ripping out his piercings. This actually shows the loyalty of his neighbors to Castle, even if he hasn't fully bought into their friendship yet due to his own self-loathing. The remaining 30 minutes of the film is your typical hero versus villain trope. However, as I've stated before, the mental side of Castle's plan that he put into motion earlier in the film is really well done and different than most of these films. So while the movie definitely won't fit the stellar uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, it is definitely a different side of Marvel that I enjoyed. Again, it bears repeating, as much as Travolta is revered for his great roles throughout his career, for me, this isn't one of them. For some reason, he just doesn't fit as Howard Saint, or he didn't have, he didn't find the right voice of this character. You know, someone like Christoph Waltz or Jeff Bridges would have been better as the main villain. That being said, Travolta does have his best scenes at the end of the film, but even then, there's just something a little off about Travolta's take on Howard Saint. However, the side characters in Thomas Jane, they're excellent, and I do appreciate the gory violence, which normally doesn't occur in superhero movies, especially in the final showdowns. To me, the Punisher is an underrated gem for the genre. All right, there were a few deleted scenes. One is the Saint and Sinners Club. Originally, the film was going to begin with an introduction of Howard Saint, his wife, and Quentin Glass at a nightclub, and they were supposed to be seen as like the Pride of Tampa. You can even see uh, former All-Pro and Hall of Fame uh, safety John Lynch, who played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and later the Denver Broncos in the crowd, and he's currently the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. Eventually, the scene transitions to seeing Howard Saint's two sons, and this would eventually lead into the legal arms deal, which eventually kills one of the boys. There's another deleted scene called Livia and Mickey, and this was to show how unpleasant and catty Livia was as a person. Basically, Mickey is waxing her car, and she treats him like trash. It's a very quick scene. All right, some fun facts about The Punisher. Hugh Jackman was offered the role to play Frank Castle, but he passed on it, and instead starred in Van Helsing in 2004. Thomas Jane trained for six to seven months with the Navy SEALs, and he gained more than 20 pounds of muscle for his part. The story and the plot was mostly based on two Punisher comic book stories. One was called Welcome Back, Frank, and the other one was The Punisher Year One. There was supposed to be a sequel in which Frank Castle goes up against Jigsaw as the main villain. Hensley wrote a first draft of the script, but the studio didn't want to spend a lot of money on the film. And this caused Thomas Jane to pull out of the sequel, and then the film then evolved into 2008's Punisher Warzone, which was a complete flop. And I didn't even bother to see Rebecca Romaine revealed that in a scene where she sews up the knife wound on Thomas Jane, she actually pushes the needle too far in and ends up actually sewing a couple stitches on Thomas Jane's body instead of just the prosthetic wound. Oof. At the time, this was the first rated R comic book movie since Blade 2, which came out in 2002. And the total body count, if you're wondering, 45. All right, we have two great guests that... Want to talk about The Punisher 2004? We get Eric Sinzak, who comes on to discuss the movie, and also Keith Rochford. Two great guests. Both have a lot of great insight on this film. And we'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection.
3: All right, we're back with Eric Sinzak. Welcome back, Eric. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me back on.
0: So today we're going to talk about what I feel, and I think you do too, uh, an underrated Marvel movie that came out before all the hoopla, before Iron Man, before all that, four years before, and it's The Punisher, uh, starring Thomas Jane. Uh, When you first saw, well, one, let me start, were you a fan of the comics?
3: Yeah, actually, I got into Punisher probably, you know, when War Journal was coming out, so I picked up uh, several of those and just uh, got, you know, read through them and, I, I was kind of a passive fan. I, I didn't start off, you know, collecting a whole lot of them. So I picked them up and just, you know, here and there. But uh, I really loved the art, and uh, you know, just I thought that the whole the grittiness of, of the Punisher was just a, a real neat, uh, you know, way that Marvel went with that and that they accepted it, uh, you know, as opposed to the, you know, the superpower characters so i thought it was really kind of cool that they they you know let that in i know war comics were you know not a big thing in in you know in marvel but you know they let uh they let that storyline play out so i thought that was kind of cool
0: yeah definitely definitely so when this came out did you see it in the theater or was this something that you waited till when it was released on video
3: i actually i think i caught it on cable the first Mm -hmm. time
0: and but, did it, uh, did it meet what you would hope for, for a superhero movie and, and what about it uh, resonated with you? Uh,
3: you know, honestly, I, I didn't like it the first time I watched it. Uh, <laughs> I, it was kind of on par with the Dolph Lundgren uh, Punisher from before the one with yeah. the junior.
0: Uh-huh.
3: So it kind of, kind of fell flat for me a little bit, but you know, I did a rewatch of this recently, you know, cause we had talked about doing a review of this mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm a big fan of the John Bernthal Punisher uh, Mm. series that came out recently. And I got to tell you, you know, seeing it again, I'm I'm actually loving this film a lot more than I used to.
0: Yeah. And and that's why I love doing uh, movies that we might have forgotten or movies that are worth revisiting. Uh, In some form, because, yeah, it's everything you watch, you know, And same thing with music. It's like time and place. So sometimes things won't resonate with you or sometimes they will resonate with you, but they don't necessarily hold up over time. So this is the one that actually did the opposite for you.
3: Yeah, it did. Um, Yeah, I guess when I first saw it, uh, I was a little jaded on the Punisher film, Mm -hmm. you know, because it was. Uh, I hated Dolph Lundgren's Punisher from, you know, before because I don't I don't think it did it justice to the to the books at all. Right. Um, it's such a departure from the storylines. Uh, I mean, I know the character and everything was right, but, you know, it was uh, I, I just I didn't like it very much. They, they tried to go go after it, but they didn't bring the, the story correct. But, you know, the, this I, th- I think this, you know, was more on par with where they they were going to. Where it should have gone. And I don't think without this film, we would have gotten the John Bernthal Punisher that we got from the Netflix Punisher. I don't think
0: yeah, we would. That's a good point. That's good. And I'm actually surprised there wasn't a sequel for this. I mean, I know there were talks about it, but it just it never panned out. And this didn't do bad at the box office either. It wasn't huge like the, the current Ma- Marvel movies, but it, it did pretty well considering.
3: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know it did.
0: The other thing I really appreciate about this film is that there obviously was some sort of CGI because all movies have CGI at this point, especially even back then. But they really made an effort to have real stunt actors and stunts. And you could tell like this didn't seem as as uh, far fetched as the movies are now.
3: No. Uh, and I was and that was the thing during the rewatch. I was watching it and I thought, man, there there's a lot of advanced stuff in this from compared to, you know, for the time that it was made. Um, you know, based on what I'm looking at that they did in this film, uh, some of the effects were, were pretty, pretty great. Uh, you know, you know, for some of the close up effects were really good and Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty seamless, you know? And, and I thought, man, you you just really, it it really held its own pretty well. And I thought, you know, you could release this today and it would do really well.
0: I think so too. And it wasn't, for lack of a better term, overblown. Like it just seemed, uh, it grittier and, and more real. And that's maybe lends itself to the character itself. How did you feel about Thomas Jane as the, as the punisher?
3: Well, he's not a, you know, he was not a, a list actor. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's not like having a Robert Downey Jr. or somebody like that playing it, so I think that kind of her- hindered it. You know, the A-list actor was playing the villain. You had John Travolta playing the villain, so I think that was really kind of a a, a tough sell for a lot of people. So I think that was really kind of a, a little snag in in the production of the film and getting the film out there to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But um, I, you know, he did a, he pulled that off real well. You know, he went you know from going from this great uh, upbeat cop the act his acting was really wonderful and and mm-hmm. you know he right when his he all of his family gets murdered you know he goes right into the broken man and trying to recover from it and then just vengeance
4: right. just
3: turning turning to vengeance his his whole demeanor and then trying not to let himself get involved with the girl in the apartment and mm-hmm. then, you know, he just, he, he sees like he wants to. And then he's like, you know, all those moments where he's with her and he's like, you know, Joan, when he's with Joan and he's, he's like, uh, maybe, but no, I'm not going to, you know, he's not right. like going down that road. <laughs> so he's like, you know, that's really good. That's pretty good. It's, he sells it really well. The character is he, he sells the character quite well.
0: So uh, and I, I don't know how you feel about it. So I won't give you my opinion yet, but how did you feel about John Travolta? Now I understand they had to get a big name, but. What did you think about him as as the main villain?
3: I, Travolta's characters for villains have a tendency to be hokey to
0: me. Yes, exactly.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but this is one I think the hokey factor is a little minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually thought he he played it pretty well. Um, I don't think you know he 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 starts off kind of blah, but. He By the time he ramps up toward the end where he's you know he's killing his wife and he's killing yeah. his best friend, I'm thinking he's pretty vicious he gets he gets downright brutal at the yeah. end, and I'm thinking he's he's playing it pretty damn good there toward the end. I liked it toward the end there, and I thought man you're really he he nailed it right there at the end, but right at the beginning, I thought man, eh, it's kind of yeah, but you know he eventually he evolved into that you know awful mean guy you really want to see him get his right mm-hmm. there toward the end
0: right right and you and iron lockstep i thought at the beginning i'm like this it was just a bad choice to play him but you're right he gets better throughout the film but to me the the best villain is actually his assistant quentin glass played by will Patton. i thought i thought he was great the whole movie
3: right and i actually felt bad for yeah Will Patton's character. I was like, you did not deserve the shit you oh like, man, I was feeling terrible for Will Patton right there when he gets knifed. I was like, yeah. Oh, this sucks, man.
0: <laughs> but that was oh. the great great part. That was the great plot point. That was the twist that um, you know, it wasn't just action. There was also some cerebral stuff going on there.
3: Right, right. And it was well thought out. It was a well played revenge plot that they they did with, you know, having Uh, Him come back, take those photographs and plan out that whole labyrinth of revenge that he takes, you know, takes him through and, you know, making him destroy his life. Yeah, exactly. That was what I thought was masterful in the story writing. And taking him through all that. Now, it would have been easy just for him just to go one by one and just kill off this guy and kill off this guy and make it really one dimensional. But they actually put some real thought into how he was going to knock down all these dominoes and make them knock down themselves.
0: Right, and I think that's why this film actually holds up well. Is they did put some thought into the plot, and a lot of superhero movies don't do that. I mean, they, they have to have a plot for the action, uh, but this one actually goes a little deeper. I also like, and part of this is the character, I, I like that he kills people. <laughs> like There is no backing off. It is kind of the ultimate like vigilante movie. It's almost like watching a Charles Bronson movie in some ways, you know?
3: Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's firing arrows through people's necks and oh he's, yeah, he's gutting them. I mean, he's, he's doing some brutal stuff and it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a friendly Marvel film. It's not, you know, oh, I'm just going to punch this guy and knock him out. He's doing some, he's doing some brutality there. I mean, yeah. it's not without rage because I mean, these guys murdered his whole family. I mean, it's, it's justifiable rage. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, if somebody came and just blew up your house and killed your parents and your whole family, you would feel you know the same way. Sure. So,
0: but it goes against the the whole superhero trope, which is you can't. You're a superhero. You have uh, you know, you're you got to use your powers with honor. And if they die, it's always by their own, you know, their own hands. You know, they fall off a ledge or something like that. But you can't do it on your own. The Punishers, uh, totally unlike that. How did you feel about? the side characters, the people in the apartment and definitely of the time was Rebecca remain. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, you don't like her much anymore, but also the, the biggest one that came out of all of them was, um, guy, John Panette, definitely. And then the guy with all the, the jewelry in his face, he, Ben, ben Foster. Pierce. Yeah. oh
3: Yeah. Vince Foster. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, having them there gave a little bit of levity to the situation and, um, took, you know, some of the pressure off parts of it and, gave you some interest in people that were around him. I thought that was kind of neat because especially the dinner scene was kind of cool. Um, you know, cause it's like, you think, uh, the guy's back, he's stalking, stalking Mm -hmm. her again. And, And then they're like, they invite him in trying to get him to, uh, you know, humanize him a little bit and make him, make him, you know, just sort of relax and let him know, Hey, we're, we're family here. We're here for you. We're here to, you know, make you not feel so, you know, sad and scared just you know we're here for you and i really thought it was great how they stood up for him when they all came you know when after the russian came and everybody, yeah you know they were going to attack him they all s- rallied around him and, and they're like he's like why did you do this for me He's like well we're family you know yeah. so i thought that was pretty pretty neat for that
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and speaking of that russian scene yeah that was a brutal fight scene and you know. <laughs> And on the special features, they don't hold like they show you like how they did it and how we were smashing guys through walls and everything. It, w- it was a really well done fight scene.
3: That set had to be amazing to build because, yeah, they were going from room to room and breaking through walls. I mean, the set designers and set construction guys had to be just that had to be amazing to build. I mean, that's to me similar to how they were doing the gunfight scene in the Matrix, all the pieces that they had to build for breakaway,
0: mm-hmm. and that
3: was just. T- that had to be very tough to build.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So going back, I, you kind of already let it out, but you would definitely recommend this to someone that may have missed it at the time or didn't like it at first.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I would recommend it because uh, I, I did it on a rewatch because I, I watched it the first time and was kind of let down by it. But then, again, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older now and I watched it. <laughs> on cable, you know, after it had gone from theater to cable, sure. and uh, it, now it's, to me, since we've had all of these Marvel films come out, the character, to me, is a little bit, I don't know if I'd say refreshing, but a different flavor than yeah. the superheroes that are in the, in the theater, and have been in the theater, so it's uh, definitely a different taste of a Marvel character.
0: Definitely, definitely, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on, and I have a feeling you're going to be on pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I think I will. Okay. (laughs) Thanks again, Eric. (laughs)
3: All right. Thanks, Brian.
0: All right. We're back with Keith Brochford. It's been far too long. He's one of our favorite guests. He's always got great insights about movies. And we're going to talk about kind of a dark horse here. This is before Marvel actually really started to take off with the Marvel Universe and uh, definitely a darker character. And it's the Punisher from 2004. Welcome back, Keith.
4: Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. It's great to be back.
0: Well, we're first gonna. We always ask everyone that starts uh, with with these little quick interviews. Uh, where did you see it first? And did you see it when it first came out? I did see it when
4: it first came out in a theater. Um, at that time, I was a, a really into comics, not as much on the Marvel side.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, wasn't a huge Punisher fan. I knew kind of some of the storyline. If I remember right, there was a line of comics that they were coming out with at the time that was a little bit darker, didn't have the rating system on it, so they could do different things with it, and I think that's where part of the story was taken from. Uh, so I do remember getting that, but I was excited to get the uh, to go see the movie and to get the soundtrack when it came out. So yeah, I do remember seeing it in the theaters.
0: So were you a Punisher comic book fan going in? And then on, on top of that, what are your favorite like comic book characters?
4: Uh, favorite comic book character is Batman. Um, I'm more of a DC guy, except the movies for DC are just crap. Uh, I do enjoy the the Marvel movies a lot better. When it goes to the Marvel side, I was always into the darker characters, my favorite one being uh, Daredevil. Mm -hmm. But then uh, I did enjoy the Punisher, and like I said, that series that they were coming out with at that time that I remember was again on the darker side, and they had Daredevil, um, Punisher, and a couple other characters that they were doing and kind of relaunching in this darker side of of Marvel comics. I think it was called like Marvel Knights or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. I was, I was getting excited for that. So yeah, I was, I would jump on the Punisher train at that point, but I was never really into the Punisher way back in the day.
0: Mm-hmm. So going, actually that's an interesting point. So going in, did you have any expectations and had you seen the 1989 Dolph Lundgren version? I
4: did have it on DVD at the time. Wow. Uh, it was like one of those $5 Walmart bin purchases. I think yeah. it was. Yeah. And I did not like it at all. Uh, I kinda looked at that one as that Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, like they had to make it to keep the rights to it or something. Right. But <laughs> that good, one good. somehow got a release and the Roger Corman one didn't, so which right. is still a good thing. But yeah, I, I didn't like the I didn't like Dolph as as Punisher. That was it was just it didn't fit to me. Even no, you know, it still tried to stay true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, I didn't, didn't buy it as much. But yeah, I was excited for this one.
0: I think they definitely made this film a lot better. Um, and actually, you know, it, it wasn't a bomb. It did pretty well considering. And I liked it because it was just darker than any other superhero at, the point, at, at that point. And uh, how did you feel about Thomas Jane as, as the uh, the main character of Frank Castle?
4: Uh, not knowing much about him at the time. I thought he it was a good fit because he wasn't a big name actor going into the role and people couldn't prejudge him uh kind of what happened to ben affleck with daredevil even though i i do enjoy that movie it's not the best one they've ever made but i did enjoy it but he did have that going against him plus he had the whole jennifer lopez thing i think at the time too so that didn't help so thomas jane though i think played it perfectly because you still felt that hardness edge that castle has as a character But somewhere buried in there, obviously, he cared so much about his family. I mean, it is a heartbreaking scene during, you know, when, when that all happens in the beginning of the movie to kind of make him go to that side of his personality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now the other side and the bone of contention for many people is the main villain played by John Travolta. How did you feel about that?
4: Uh, I wasn't a big fan of him. (laughs) As I I looked at it, as he just basically took the character that he played in Swordfish. Mm -hmm. and just revisited that for this one and i didn't i didn't really like the fact that they took it out of new york and went to tampa yeah and there was no mob connection because that was the whole point that i remembered from the punisher was the mob killed his family so he had all of these mob people to go after it was kind of like right once you took care of the travolta villain all right now what Mm -hmm. now who, who are you mad at
0: yeah, I thought he, it was weird. I, I thought he got better as the movie got, went along, but in the beginning, it was just almost like self-parody.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely like that. And like I said, it was, it just, the the, the his characterizations of it, I don't buy him as a, a mob boss or right. like a, a hard-ass, tough guy like that.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the only time it really worked was Pulp Fiction, <laughs> you know, but he had Samuel L. Jackson with him.
4: He had Samuel L. Jackson with him and he didn't, it was kind of like the comeback. So he had been forgotten for so long that right. he had that that opportunity to reinvent himself. But then at this point he had made so many bad movies going into the Punisher that we were all like, yeah, whatever. I can't buy this anymore.
0: (laughs) That's a good point. I think what saved the villain angle was definitely Will Patton. Who'd play Quentin glass.
4: Yeah, he, he definitely did save that portion of it. I mean, he, he was the one that basically ran that for John Travolta Mm -hmm. and kept it going. I I didn't like the the son either. He was just, he just looked like a, pretty boy, young Harry Connick Jr. guy that
0: yeah. <laughs> I couldn't
4: buy as a, a, a hard bass either. Just forecasting, I think, on the villain side. I think a better villain would have made a better movie.
0: I agree. I actually might have done better. Um, how did you feel about the action?
4: Eh, the action was... It reminded me of, like, uh, 80s action movies. It wasn't mm-hmm. too over-the-top. Uh, I know the budget for it was cut a lot, and that, mm-hmm. I think that was a bone of contention for a lot of the the director's issues with the movie because he wasn't given the funds to go an all-out type of like Schwarzenegger violent action. Mm-hmm. So I think they tapered it down because it was considered still a comic book movie, even though it did get the R rating.
0: Yeah. I did like, you know, watching the special features, they were saying how they got these great stunt actors to do a lot of this stuff, which I think is a loss nowadays. Cause everything is just an easy CGI. They don't really need stunt actors like they used to. Um, and I think you kind of lose something from that. It, it kind of takes away from the realism. And I did appreciate that they use pretty much all stunt actors uh, on a lot of this stuff and uh one uh, one thing that i thought was really cool in this movie was the fight scene between uh frank castle and the russian how did you feel about that one?
4: Oh, it was, it was
0: kevin nash right yeah yeah good yeah guy. yeah no I, I thought it was at
4: first it came off kind of campy but then you're looking at it like his reactions like he got his ass whooped but still you know came out on top because of yeah. course he's the punisher but yeah it was it was cool because yeah it it wasn't like you were watching a computer, a video game, a computer generated thing that you would see nowadays. It was a cool fight scene. But again, to me, it still came off a little campy at times.
0: Sure. No, I, it, I see it that. It could one.
4: have been that red and white shirt that wears Waldo look.
0: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Though no, it does match perfectly. The uh, The comic book character. He, he and, was that size.
4: Yeah. And that's why they did that. I mean, I knew I, once he came on the screen, I'm like, yep, I knew what this was coming. So, Yep.
0: Yep. Now, how did you feel about the friends? You know, the Rebecca Romaine and John Panette and uh, uh, I
4: think his name, Ben Foster. Ben Foster. I think I wish they had more time. Mm-hmm. I wish they kind of dug a little bit more into, you know, their the relationship that they had. I mean, they had the one little scene where they had like the little dinner where they forced him to get to it because that really was the only humanity that he he had in his life at that point. I think if mm-hmm. they delved a little bit deeper into that. They would have made him a little bit more of a likable character, and they you would be able to see him kind of grow and realize why he, why they would stand up for him and take the pain for him when they were hiding him, and why he was willing to go to bat for them too.
0: Right, and they do touch upon that a little bit, like when Spacker Dave is is tortured. Uh, but even then, he never really he has his moments where he kind of admits that you know he cares about everyone. But yeah, he's just he's kind of a broken man, so.
4: Yeah, definitely that and and it was played well.
0: Yeah. What other things stuck out in the movie for you and um, uh, you know, would if it wasn't for this podcast, would you have revisited it?
4: I've watched it a couple different times. I I own both the regular and the unrated versions on DVD, oh, cool. so I I my movie collection has a ton of the comic book movies, so even the bad ones like Jonah Hex and that, I'd buy them just cuz it's related <laughs> to the comics, so
0: now here's uh, I, a good question for you, actually, I, not to cut you off, but like, what is the difference between the unrated and the ratings? I don't think I have the unrated version.
4: The unrated version, they, you have the option when you play it, you can watch some of the background scenes from the Gulf War in the mm. beginning of it through animate the like the animated storyboards. They never actually filmed it,
2: mm. uh,
4: and then they go into a little bit more of the background on when his ex partner Jimmy um, rats him out.
2: Oh and how, right,
4: okay. and how they got him to rat him out through his gambling debts because he was in debt to the the Toro brothers.
0: That's right, that's right. Yeah, they kind of lost it. I mean, it was a that was a big scene. It's almost like an extra, like fifteen or twenty minutes.
4: Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. I think they said something about they cut it for the pacing because it was literally right between like the death of Castle's family and mm. the the death of the the Saint's son and the funeral and them trying to go after Castle and all that. So. It was. Mm-hmm. I think they cut it for timing wise. Um, I wish they would have gone a little bit into more of how he survived.
0: Right. Right. Because
4: I I, 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 the only big note I had was he gets shot point blank, and then blown up off of this little pier <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: into the water, mm-hmm. and some random guy out in the islands brings him on, on his boat, and then he's he's alive.
0: He's magically good again, and he right. finds a sh- he finds the shirt, the Punisher shirt.
4: Right. Everything's fine in the house. No one's touched it since, you know, like how long was he gone? Right. Did, what did this guy, this magic boat man have superpowers that he could <laughs> heal him? Like, I don't know. I mean, I can suspend belief, but I would have just liked to know how he got to that point.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Nobody's brought that up yet, but that's true. It's funny how when you're watching movies, you could, there are times when you're just like, oh, okay, I'll go with it, you know?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know. I back in the day, I know I just went with it because you know, all right, you know, he's coming to be the Punisher, and that's what's going to happen.
0: Exactly. But yeah, I it's just like,
4: would love watching it back. It was just give me how he did this.
0: Right. Like you know, sometimes I think they in these origin stories of the first movies, they they want to kind of quickly go through it, um, but sometimes maybe it is better to to kind of explain some things.
4: Yeah, I mean, they don't need to go into as much detail and depth like they did in Was It Batman Begins? Right. With Christian right. Bale, like you know, the first. 90 minutes of that movie was all backstory. Oh, man. So,
0: but at that point, actually, it was great because uh, there have been so many Batman movies that nothing had really, really gone in depth about the backstory um, that I kind of appreciated that one. Uh, If it was a newer movie, I'm not sure I would have, you know, that hadn't been done to death. I think it would have been uh, maybe a little bit overkill, but that one, I kind of let him get away with it. <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, but
4: yeah, it could be that I'm just more impatient when it comes to Batman because I'm like, just get to the action. I want to see Batman. I know the origins of that. No, but I get just that. That's me.
0: Yeah. And, and, and actually as a whole, though, I mean, it's kind of nice because then you you do have the two different movies then you could always revisit the, the origin stories and maybe have a little bit uh, of an appreciation for, for it. But uh, obviously they had a vision that was going to be a trilogy, so they kind of knew that. Right. Yeah, yeah. they did. So going back to the Punisher, what are some of the things that uh, stuck out with you? And, and what are some of your notes from uh, revisiting the movie?
4: Um, besides some of the things we have already talked about, I had to laugh towards the towards the end of the movie. It seemed like that was the theme for these Marvel movies at the time to have some kind of logo burning in flames.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
4: Because <laughs> they did the same thing in Daredevil. Yeah. Um, like, oh, really? Come on. I forgot all about that. <laughs> Um, and the other thing I never really understood is why did he announce that he was back to both Saint, and then go approach Weeks and his the the chief of police?
0: Yeah, that seems yeah like it it would have been more effective to just kind of be act like you're dead. You get things more you know done better.
4: Uh, yeah, it would have totally drove Saint off. I mean, he did a great job of kind of pushing him over the edge, anyway. But if he didn't know that it was Frank Castle back yet, I mean, that would have been the perfect way of how, how is all my money disappearing and what's going on?
0: Yeah. I thought the same exact thing. I thought it was odd, you know, but maybe it was the bravado of of being the Punisher. But yeah, but I did like the twist of him turning, you know, turning um, him against glass. I thought that was a nice little way of doing that.
4: Yeah. I mean, and it's, you, it's kind of funny because, you know, he's the Punisher and he's doing all this, but he never, you know, he didn't kill the wife, and he didn't, you know, kill the right. the uh, his consigliere. He only took care of the main
0: boss. That's right, that's right. He had he had the boss do it himself. Uh, what other things did you had? Did you have?
4: I'm trying to think. Uh, I, I I think one of the reasons that my one of my notes here is that I think the reason that the movie didn't do as well as some mm-hmm. of the other ones is that that character has always had a history of never really being able to go any farther over the top. Pub- uh, popularity-wise, and what he can, because it's it's a very fine line of trying to cheer for a guy that's going through and being, you know, avenging his family's death by also killing.
0: Right, and that's why I think that why in two thousand and four, this was almost kind of a refreshing because you're so used to the. You know the the superhero never let actually killing a villain. The, the villain has to die by their own you know volition or their own stupidity or whatever. You know they fall out a window or something like that. But here he's actually taking matters into his own hands, which maybe was ahead of its time because I think now you could almost get away with it.
4: Yeah, I mean I think that's why the the Netflix you know series was more popular and mm-hmm. a little bit you know caught on a little bit more because it could go down that road. I think if they were to try and relaunch it with, you know, a good story again, it probably could do well. I don't know if people could still buy into, though, their hero or the anti-hero, you know, killing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, you never know at this point in time.
0: Then again, like, Kick-Ass did really well. So maybe yeah. uh, maybe something like that. Yeah, because, that yeah, I think it just depends on on who they get. I know they wanted to do a sequel to this, and they were up to do it, but then the director... I guess that they didn't like where or where it was headed and he dropped out. And he also co wrote the film, so Yeah, he dropped was... out
4: and then I think the story that they were gonna go with, Thomas Jane didn't like it, so then he started to drop out. Mm-hmm. So they kinda shelved everything and then they came out with like a follow up, I think it was called Punisher Warzone. Right. I, I watched it once, I don't remember a bit of it.
0: Yep. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> So, so going back, obviously this is one you like, this is one you would recommend and especially if it, you want something different from the the Marvel, you know, cinematic universe.
4: Yeah, it's definitely a little bit more of a it's not a popcorn movie where you're just going to sit there like watching all the Avengers movies with things are blowing up and there's colorful characters having one-liners. There's a couple of th- scenes like that, but this one is a little like you said darker. Um, but it, it's, it's more interesting, I would say an introspective where you, you really don't know how to feel about some of these, these things going on in the movie, but it's still a good movie to me, you know, yeah. going through it. I, I enjoyed it and I, going back, I'd probably watch that more often than some of the other ones that, you know, they've come out with since then.
0: Cool, and that's that's why we do movies like this because I think it's easy to forget some of the the lesser known ones, and this is why we do this on the podcast so we can dedicate full episodes to not just the most popular ones but also the the dark horse ones.
4: Yeah, definitely, and it, like I, like we were saying, you know, it was I think it was ahead of its time, especially since at that point Spider Man I think had come out. Mm-hmm. So, and then Daredevil, which was a little darker than Spider Man, but still. Kind of cleaned up for the masses. But then when they went to the Punisher, like it's got to be rated R. He's going to be killing people. So, yeah,
0: it's also kind of a tangent. They've never, still to this day, never done a great Fantastic Four movie.
4: No, they have not.
0: Yeah, they keep screwing it up. And I, you know, that's the one thing they can never get right.
4: The best Fantastic Four movie, I think, is The Incredibles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. Yeah, that's true. That's done right. So, we'll leave it at that. Thank you as always, Keith.
4: All right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs)
0: Hey, this is Brian Davis, and you might know me from the Damn Good Movie Memories podcast. And now, get ready for the Bad Beat Show on ThatMetalStation.com from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday night. I'm going to play some kick-ass hard rock inspired by the blues, because after all, the foundation of all things rock and metal is, of course, the blues. So join me every Wednesday night for the Bad Beat, because even when you lose, you still win.
3: There ain't nothing else like it. The one, the only, the
2: original, Vieira Vault. On Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes.
4: Spreaker. God damn it.